We thank you that we can all be together as a happy crowd on Easter Sunday, but please help us to learn from the Bible why it is that we have happiness today that makes a difference to the way we live. And we pray you will teach us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So John chapter 20, page 906, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And I'll stop there. Um, so we'll just uh, pick up the verses ten, 1 to 10 in a moment, but the children are going to go to their different groups. We'll let them do that. And I think there might be a craze for... Uh, the little ones. Yes, <laughs> and suddenly it all goes quiet. Uh, I'm afraid, Jade, you will get them back later, though. <laughs> We're not going to keep them for the whole of the holiday. Uh, well, it's great to be here, and again, welcome uh, if. Uh, you're new, and it may be that some of you are here because you've got a little invitation, uh, an Easter leaflet that looked a little bit like this coming through your letterbox. Um, I don't know if uh, anyone here got that. Rita, did you get that through your letterbox? I thought you did, but uh, other people did. 3,000 homes got uh, these uh, invitations, and so we thought we'd have a look and see what uh, that invitation is all about, because I want to ask you... What do you think is really big about Easter? Our Easter leaflet says that the resurrection of Jesus is still big news. And we said it's big news because it is history and it is future. And people will say, well, you'd expect a church to write stuff like that on an Easter leaflet because they're always exaggerating. I mean, everybody knows this is just a bank holiday. My mate who... Um, uh, is very keen on real ale, uh, tells me that every bank holiday does uh, a real ale 
festival at the Viper Pub near Cambridge. I joined him once, and it's a good one. Um, and this year he sent me a, a picture of it because the, the, the festival was going over the whole weekend. For my friend Pete, that is the big deal about Easter. It is the beer festival at the Viper Pub in Chelmsford. Um, but I think actually there is something bigger. And we're going to see that if we look at John chapter 20 and just those first 10 verses. We're going to see that it is big because it is true. Easter is history. Right? But we're also going to see, hello, uh, we're also going to see that it is future. And uh, it is uh, uh, to do with uh, uh, what's coming up in front of us as well. So let's look at first and see that actually it is big news and that it is actually big news because it is history. It is to do with a real thing that happened. It really happened. You know it is, we weren't there, we didn't see it, but it's a bit like a football stadium. You leave a football stadium too early and you hear the roar of the crowd that a goal has been scored. You didn't see the goal, but the goal was scored and people will tell you afterwards exactly what happened. Now it's a bit like that. And there are two people here that see exactly what happened and they tell you first is a lady called Mary in verse 1. Have a look at her on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away. And you think, huh? What's the big deal about taking a stone away and seeing a stone being removed? What's so important about that? I'll tell you what's important. What's really important is that Mary is a woman. By that I mean, if you are going to make up a story that you wanted people to believe, in those days, you wouldn't start with a woman. Because in those days, what a woman saw didn't really matter very much at all. So if you're going to make up a story about the resurrection, what Mary saw is not how you would start. But it's true, and it so happens she is the first person, and she saw the first sign of the resurrection, and we're told that she did. Now the fact that uh, Mary goes to a tomb, where we all know how the story, the life of Jesus ended fairly quickly on that final uh, uh, Friday, and they had to move very fast to get the body buried before sunset, and so therefore they had to move quickly. No proper arrangements could be made. And so Mary's there, she's gone to the grave, and it's a thousand women every day that do this. Except it's not quite what we see every day. We might see someone at the grave, uh, maybe a bunch of flowers in one hand, uh, a tear uh, in the eye. But this is different. Here she goes, and the grave is empty. Now, she doesn't know why it's empty. Uh, she's not immediately thinking resurrection at this stage. But she runs to the people who can find <coughs> out Peter and John. 
She's not thinking of resurrection. She's not sort of jumping into conclusions. She's, at this moment in time, looking for a perfectly sensible explanation, like they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. That's more natural than a resurrection. So she's not thinking resurrection, making it up and adding to what she could see. She's trying to logically think through why the grave might be empty, but she's certainly not denying the fact that the grave is empty. It is true that what she sees is an empty tomb, and uh, that starts uh, the whole ball rolling, and takes her to Peter and to John. We don't know his uh, name, do we, John? Um, he's just called in verse 2, the other disciple. But I'll tell you what, in verse 2, this is only, only a man could have written this. If you look at verse 4, you see why only a man could have written this. It's because he wants to tell you, John wants to tell you, he won the race. Okay, that's a matter thing to say, isn't it? And John was saying, verse 4, he won the race. Now, he's very, very humble. He doesn't call himself John, he calls himself the other disciple. He does that right throughout his gospel, and in this little section he calls himself the other disciple four times. So he's not putting himself in the spotlight, but he does want you to know that the other disciple won the race. He got there first. And then he didn't go in, but Peter went in in verse 6. That's typical Peter. If anybody's going to take the lead and barge in, well, that would be Peter for you. He's there in verse 6 going in. And they saw that the tomb wasn't quite empty. It wasn't an empty tomb. It had clothes in it. The grave clothes were there. And it's almost as if the, the body had just simply disappeared. So clothes were there in their right place, but the body had just sort of been removed. And the, the head... Uh, part was different to the rest of it. It's just the body has just simply gone away. Now a lot of people try and think of stories to explain why the tomb was empty. One of the stories is that there were grave robbers that came in, they opened the tomb, they took the body. It doesn't quite fit though because generally when it comes to grave robbing uh, the clothes are more valuable than the corpse. The clothes are here. <coughs> And so uh, John uh, sees, and there are now two men who see. And in those days, if you want to know if something was true, if you get two blokes to agree with what they've seen, you're now beginning to see a story uh, and evidence that is absolutely true. But you can see in verse 9 that although they saw and they believed in verse 8, they didn't yet understand the scriptures. And that's worth making a point about as well, because people will try and diss the resurrection, in other words, reject the resurrection, for all sorts of reasons. And one of the reasons that people diss the resurrection is to say, well, look, 
Uh, you can't believe what it says here in the New Testament because the way it works in the Bible is that whatever is you, get, you get in the New Testament, you've had advanced warning in the Old Testament and you, it's the first time someone's been resurrected. It's brand new. It's a New Testament thing and therefore it doesn't, it's, it's a kind of standalone thing and there's nothing in the Bible to back it up. You can't really take it seriously. People say that. But the truth is actually that the scriptures do tell you about the resurrection. So if you, for example, were to go to the Old Testament and to Psalm 16 verse 10, David is talking about uh, a future king who will come and talks about this future king and this is what he says, for you will not, speaking as if uh, he was a future king, he says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. So way back in the Old Testament, King David said, there's going to be a person coming down the track who will not become stinky like the rest of us when we die. God will not let his body see corruption. And another verse 10, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 tells you, Isaiah 53 is a fantastic chapter, we were uh, reading it earlier with uh, the Iranian group and it's all about Jesus. And chapter 53 verse 10 is actually about how uh, Jesus uh, dies. Um, and uh, uh, how Jesus dies and you get verse 10 which says, after he dies, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And those words, if you read Isaiah 3, are written about a dead person who's going to stay living. So the Old Testament actually tells you that there is going to be a resurrection one day. That this will happen. But in verse 9 tells you, they did not understand the scriptures. So therefore, they hadn't joined the dots. Because other people would say, ah, but there's another reason to not believe the resurrection. Because all that's happened on Easter Sunday is that they remembered what the Old Testament said about the resurrection and then they get wildly excited for nothing. They go and pretend, they let their imagination play tricks on them, they think they see an empty tomb and they go and think, ah, Isaiah said this, Psalm 16 said this, therefore I'm going to start telling everybody there's a resurrection. Get excited because of what they remembered from the Old Testament. Except verse 9 says, that didn't happen. They didn't understand the scripture. But it was there in the scripture all along. And that's why it is important for us to see that this is big. This is history. It's so big it was written before it happened. And it really happened. It was seen by people with their own eyes. It is really important that we understand that what we're believing is not something that we've dreamed up, that we've 
wanted to wish for and then now we believe it happened like that. This is really true. This is really history. And it's what took place. But not only is it history, we also see that it is the future. And we see it in verse nine, verse 10, the verse 9 rather, where it tells us how the scriptures tell us that he must rise from the dead. Not that he would, but that he must. That's different. Why must? Because his resurrection is the basis on which you can understand your resurrection. What happened to him is going to happen to everybody when one day bodies are raised from the dead. And that is something that is uh, important in the Bible because, and it's important for us to see that because in England, although it's a strange thing this, that a lot of people, nearly everyone actually, when you ask them, has some kind of theory in their minds about what's going to happen to you when you die. And most people hope to go to a better place. That's interesting because most people in Britain these days, I don't think, would say they really believed in God. They don't, ex they don't talk about the future with God in it. They just talk about their mates, you know, reading in the sky, that kind of thing. But they have that kind of hope that something's going to happen to them after they die. It's just that God's not going to be a big part of it. And yet what the Bible tells us is that he must rise from the dead. It's the Bible's way of saying, look, this is the person who is going to fill the screen in the future. Every single person, when they die, will stand up on their own two feet one day, come back to life, and be in front of him. Either in his kingdom, under his blessing, in his presence, in that way, or he will still fill the screen if, outside his kingdom, we live under his judgment. It will be his judgment we are under. He will still fill the screen. He is the important one that this world is heading to meet. He must rise from the dead to show you who will fill the future and to show you that you must rise from the dead too. That's written. Don't be in any doubt about that. And I want to suggest therefore there are three different people who might like to take home three different things from what we've heard today. Number one, if you're someone who's maybe a bit new to Christianity and you've heard a couple of things before but it's all a bit confusing and you say, well, I don't think I understand it all yet. That's okay. 
Mary, when she saw what happened in verse 1, didn't immediately say, yeah, I got it. Nor did Peter or John, when they, say, when they saw what they saw, they didn't immediately twig. Uh, no, no one on the first day gets it in one. No one on the first day gets it in one. But what Mary does, that is helpful for us, is she goes to people who will find out. And my friends, if you are someone who is near and you're maybe listening to this tape, not here today, but on our website, uh, please could you get in touch, please come to us, because we can help you to join the dots, and we would love to help you to join the dots. It is all a little bit strange and new and different. Well, it was for the first people, and there's help to be found. The dots can be joined and understanding can be uh, full and wonderful and you get that. So if you're new, that's the encouragement. But it may be that your church experience, in other words, you've knocked around church circles before and this is not entirely new to you, you've heard an Easter story described in the past. And you might say, well, what have we got to learn from it for ourselves today? I want to describe to you uh, what might be uh, a, a clock change. And a clock change is this. Every, every uh, year in England, I think in, 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 in many countries, the clocks change twice a year. Only in a very superficial way. It goes forward one hour, it goes back one hour. Yeah, that kind of clock change doesn't really affect life all that much. What I'm talking about is a clock change. Easter brings a clock change that is deep and significant. See, there are two clocks you can live by. Clock one is to live by the clock of this life. So essentially, uh, what you do with this life is to make it better any way you can. Load up the trolley with as many good things as you can and uh, enjoy as much as you can before you get to the checkout. Well, that's clock one. But clock two is ultimately the new time scale that you work and you live your life by, which is the life span, the life scale of the future. Where you make decisions now in a way that will make sense then, in the fullness of that time. Maybe some of the decisions we make now may not seem all that wise now, but it will make sense then. So that uh, the way we uh, maybe make sacrifices now, people may look at us and say, well, that's a silly thing to do to give up a Sunday afternoon to come to a place like this when you could be out in the park uh, using the family fun day in, uh, in uh, Maysbrook. You could be doing so many other different things. Uh, or uh, generosity, Christian generosity. Uh, people say, look, keep the money yourself. Uh, don't be generous with it with others. 
a foolish thing to uh, give uh, any, uh, any of it away. Uh, to do what we do on a Sunday afternoon, to, to go out and visit people on our estate. Look, that's a crazy thing to do. Uh, don't intrude. Just stay where you are. And uh, that's a foolish thing that you do every week. Now, lots of decisions. The people will look now and say, well, these Christians, they're foolish. But in the fullness of time, uh, they'll be seen to be wise. And we're Christian do relationships now. Uh, we can basically be very self-centered, can't we? But if we're living by the time scale of the future and relating to people now as we will then, then there's going to be love in relationships and closeness and unity and serving. Christians change time. Uh, there's a different clock that they live under because of Easter. We live for the future. We do everything now that will make sense of that. And I'll just my slides away, but uh, just to uh, tell you, here's the, the slide. It's okay to have questions. Uh, we can help you join the dots. We do want to keep the new clock going and learn about that. And also, as uh, people who are believers, it is important, isn't it, that we understand that what we hold on to when it comes to trusting God is absolutely true and based on fact. And it's based on fact not because great people have told us great things to mislead us, but because a simple Mary and a Peter and a John saw what happened and tell us ordinary Marys and Peters and Johns and whatever your name is that these things are absolutely true. There is confidence in what we hear from the Bible and what we trust uh, uh, for the future because of what has really happened and taken place. And so therefore, as ordinary Marys and Peters and Johns, and whatever your name happens to be, we go on to our estate to ordinary Marys and Peters and Johns. And we explain how true God is, how true his future is, and invite them to come into this kingdom and live by his time frame, leaving the old time frame behind. This life is not the only clock that's sticking because of Easter there's a new clock to live by and you and I need to be wiser because the wisest decisions you will ever make in your life will be the decisions that make sense then and we need to pray that we encourage others to live with that wisdom as well so let's pray together that God will help us to do that and then maybe we'll take some questions and uh, chat together a moment after that. But let me take you, ask you to take one minute, and in that one minute, you talk to God about what He might be talking to you through this little passage. What's He telling you? Is He telling you as a new person, 
that come on, trust what is true, find out what is true, join the dots and follow me. Well, you reply to him. Maybe that you're someone from a church background and you can, maybe you want to say to him, God, I've been following the wrong clock. I want to live by your time scale. Live now for the future. Help me to do that. But maybe that you're someone who uh, is a Christian who says, Lord, please help me to be so sure of what I believe that I go out and tell others and bring them into your kingdom as well. However you want to talk to God, a minute to do that quietly, privately, we'll stay in silence. I'll close in prayer after that, and then we'll take some questions. Let's first pray.